Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation. And we're excited today to introduce our guest on the show, Congresswoman Virginia Fox. Congresswoman Fox represents North Carolina's 5th District in the United States House of Representatives. She also serves as the Republican leader of the House Committee on Education and Labor. Prior to serving on Capitol Hill, Congresswoman Fox uh, also spent 10 years in the North Carolina Carolina Senate, uh, and you uh, have uh, uh, worked in higher ed, so you're very familiar with all that. So we welcome you to the show. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your inviting me to come to the campus. We want to open our conversation by uh, talking about your passion um, for the judicial system and the legal landscape of our country. When did you first realize this was a career path that you felt uh, you wanted to go down? Well, I grew up extremely poor in the mountains of North Carolina. So my goal when I was a high school student, uh, actually in my senior year, was to go to college. At the last minute, I was encouraged by a teacher to do that and become a high school English teacher. Hmm. But um, I was very poor. I worked hard, could not do student teaching. So I wound up getting a degree in English. And then I had a chance to go back and get a master's in college teaching, and I did that in sociology. And it wasn't until I was living, we were living in Boone at the time, and I went to a school board meeting as an observer for the League of Women Voters. And the school board was being particularly incompetent one night. And somebody turned around to me and said, why don't you run for the school board? And I said, oh, no, I'm not qualified. Well, I had a master's in college teaching. I was working at Appalachian as an administrator, and I had a child in school. And I went home, and I said to my husband, who's really the political person in the family, Ron Hester said I suggested I should run for school board. He said, I think you should. So I ran, and I lost. Uh, But I ran again two years later, and I won big, big time. And I was pleased to be on the school board. I did it for 12 years. Then I did some work for our, a Republican governor. I was deputy secretary for administration in Raleigh and was beginning then to get into the political world. And then I became the president of a community college. Mm-hmm. And um, my board of trustees became very, very political <clears throat> and uh, was giving me a hard time. And I had taken on a very bad school and turned it into a school that was chosen as the best community college in the country mm-hmm. a few years ago. Well, I was praying a lot about what to do with this board. And one morning I woke up and I had this very clear message in my brain. These people are like Joseph's brothers. They mean you ill. Trust me. Mm-hmm. And so I said to my husband, you know, I'm not going to fight with these people I was, a, I was an at-will employee. They could have fired me at any moment. Mm. And I said, no, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to finish some projects I'm working on, and then I'm going to leave. But I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, right after I told the board this and we worked out an arrangement that I could finish these projects and all that, I was asked to run for the legislature in North mm. Carolina in a district no Republican had ever won. Mm. But they coerced me by saying an intelligent, hardworking woman can win this district. (laughs) (laughs) So I ran and I won. And I enjoyed, but I was in the minority again. 
And then um, in 2003, there was an opening for Congress, and I was encouraged to run, and I ran, and I won. Mm. Um, So I never had a passion for running, but God has made a way for me at every stage. But it wasn't until I got that clear message Mm. that morning that I realized that God was totally in control of what was happening. And yet all of my life up until that point and since then has really prepared me. It prepared me ahead of time, and it continues to prepare me. And I have God things happen all the time. So my passion really comes from God's encouragement to do what I'm doing. And I truly love education, and I enjoy enjoy trying to help people gain an education because— I know that that's the pathway to prosperity. Yeah, no, that's so good. That's actually um, really goes right down our mission here at, at SEU is to to help these students discover and develop their divine design, so they can walk in that pathway. And as you said, experiences and things that you went through prepared you, and uh, and we teach our our students the same thing that they're going to, especially in, in these four years of, of formative education, they're going to have the, the privilege to have experiences and be shaped in a way that, yeah, he'll open the door for them. And what's so fun, that. what's fun about your story is, and this is something we've actually heard a lot, is the, is how much the, the school board is a gateway into this whole world, right? We've, I've actually, we've heard this from a couple different representatives that we've had on the show that if you want to get started in politics, if you're feeling a pull there, the school board is, is a unique place. Tell us a little bit about why the, this school board is so unique. And if, and if you're listening to this podcast right now thinking, man, I want to get involved in politics, it's a great place to start. Well, I tell everybody this. I've talked to a lot of people who say, oh, I want your job, mm-hmm. or I want to be in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. And I say, start locally. Right. Yeah. Now, whether it's school board or maybe you want to get on a planning board, an appointed board, mm-hmm. but learn a little bit about how government works. Right. And But I think school board is a great way. Now, school board's very... Uh, state by state. Our school board had no power to attack, so all our money we had to beg from the Mm -hmm. county commissioners. Mm -hmm. And really, I know we're going to get into talking about the um, National Department of Education, Mm -hmm. the federal department, but you'll see over the years, when I was on the school board, I felt like we had a little bit of control over what happened, but I think there's very little now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not I think school board's a good place to start any elected office at the local level. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be on the Soil and Water Conservation Board in North right. Carolina. You get elected to those, but you get a sense of how things work. So I think everybody should start at the local level. Now, you occasionally will have somebody in Congress who usually has a lot of money mm-hmm. who can run directly for Congress and yeah. get there. Or sometimes it's just the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. But generally, I think starting at the local level is the way to go. Right, right. And it gives you a taste of, 
like you said, how government's working while you're still there, right? Because that's when you start reaching your level at the representative level, federal level, and above, even at the state level, there starts becoming physical distance between you and your constituent. What's fun about right. these offices is you're you're working in them in the same community you're right. already in. You can literally yeah. see the effects on your kids, right, as you go yeah. to school. Well, I'd like to say I'm a little different from a lot of representatives. Right. I spend a lot of time with my constituents. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very, very accessible. Mm -hmm. And people know that. I answer right. the phone if it rings in the office. I talk to people on the phone. Mm -hmm. I answer all my own mail. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm pretty right. accessible. But you're right. Yeah. Not all members are like that. Right, right, right. And it's just a great way to get started. You, I know you. Uh, this is your second time you've been with us here at Southeastern University. And uh, I, I'll never forget uh, the first time you were here and you uh, pulled out your constitution, uh, and you carry that around, and I see you have that with you here. And, and why is that so important for, especially our, our younger generations now, to really understand that and be familiar with the constitution? Well, because it's the basis of our country. It's mm. the basis of all of our laws. I have to tell you, about uh, about a year ago, I was flying home, and a, and a flight attendant started talking. Well, she, I was talking with the person next to me about the Constitution. And the flight attendant came up to me and she said, I cannot believe there's somebody here talking about the Constitution. And I pulled out my pocket copy that I carry with me everywhere I go. And she cried. Wow. She cried. She said, I am so impressed that there are people like you, because she's very conservative. Mm -hmm. We exchange emails occasionally. But it is important for people to see it and to see those first three words, yeah, we the, the people. people, written larger. And that I tell people those are the most important words outside the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because we own our government, but people have forgotten that. They yeah. mm -hmm. have they been not been taught the Constitution, and they have thought that the, their um, freedom comes from the government. Mm -hmm. And it's the opposite. We, through the Constitution, have given our government certain responsibilities. Freedom for, is God-given. Mm -hmm. It is not coming from the government. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about how education has has played a role in the shaping and how we think about Constitution and maybe even talk a little bit more about how you how it could be the way that we solve this going forward. Well, um, we don't teach the Constitution yeah. very much. Yeah. We really don't teach about the foundations of our country. We don't teach our history. Mm -hmm. uh, people just don't understand how our government was formed, that mm -hmm. um, we are unique in how we were formed, and that um, it's important that we maintain the basis, of the Constitution and its basis for us to remain a free people. Mm -hmm. And I, it, I think you just hit on something that's so important that a lot of, I know our students kind of miss out until you start really diving into is just how unique the American country is, how unique we are as a country in the history of the world, in the history of place. And even some people get their hair stayed up a little bit when you say something like that, but but it's true when you absolutely. look at it. Can you talk a little bit more why that's so true? Well, absolutely. And I say that all the time to people. Mm -hmm. This was the first time in 1776, right. this is the first time ever that a people assumed they were free. Yeah. Before that time, they were owned by somebody. Mm -hmm. 
owned by somebody. This was truly radical. And when I talk to students a lot of times, if I'm not asked to give a special speech, I use the Constitution as my text. Mm -hmm. And I talk about the uh, all the items in the Constitution and where they came from right. in terms of our revolution against Britain mm -hmm. and um, and the king mm -hmm. and and how he was a despot and we wrote our Constitution to keep that from happening with a president. Yeah. The structure of our government is really brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, we have never had the kind of minds again in our country i don't believe that we're existent in the 1700s mm -hmm. when our constitution was written and the declaration of independence yeah and so what's the number one thing we need to be doing now to continue the work that they started way back then explain again the structure of our mm -hmm. government and explain why we are a free people mm. our freedom came from god but we set this the preamble of the constitution mm. says it all right. the, the that we set up this government to in order to form a more perfect union establish justice ensure domestic tranquility provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty yeah. to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be in school, everybody memorized right, that. Right. You know, probably fifth and sixth grade, they mm -hmm. memorized that. They don't read it, they don't understand what that means either. Right. Memorizing it's one thing, understanding what the words mean is something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. Um, tell us a little bit about the priorities of Congress now that Republicans are back in the majority and you serve in a very important role, chair of the Education Labor Committee. Uh, what, what's ahead? Well, we have a pretty uh, hefty agenda at a, ahead of us. We're going to be working in several different areas. The uh, committee's name now is Education and Workforce. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we are working on both of those areas. We have sort of two divisions within the committee in terms of staff. Mm -hmm. So on education... In elementary and secondary, we will be passing the Parents' Bill of Rights. Okay. Okay. That will probably be our first major bill because we want parents to have control over their children's education. Yeah. Right. We want there to be transparency in everything that's happening at the elementary and secondary level. So parents should have a right to know what their children are being taught. They should have a right to know what money is coming into the schools and how it's being spent. They should have a right to know that their children are safe. Mm -hmm. They should have a right to know that their children's privacy mm -hmm. is protected. So there will be five different areas that we'll be working on in the Parents' Bill of Rights. Then um, in the um, higher ed, ed area, we will be working with um, reforming post-secondary education. Okay. We'll be, we've already, we will introduce a bill called the um, uh, Real Reforms Bill, which we introduced last time, that will totally revamp the loan system okay. for college students um, to make it so much better. Right now, President Biden is doing something that's totally illegal, we believe. It's before the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. He is trying to transfer the debt owed by students. They willingly took out loans to the American people. He's saying that you, he's going to forgive these loans. Well, 
somebody gave me a quote. You can't forgive a sin not create not made against you, and you can't forgive a loan that you do not hold. Yeah, that's the true. Biden administration doesn't hold that loan. The American people, people hold that mm-hmm. loan. And so it's really a transfer of debt mm-hmm. from one group of people to another. Uh, President Obama talked about transfer of wealth. Well, in a sense, it's a mm-hmm. backward transfer of wealth. Right. Um, the other thing we will be doing is we will be working on holding institutions of higher education accountable. Mm. We want, again, tr- more transparency. Sure. We want students to know when they go to a college how much is it going to cost, how long is it going to take, what are the chances of their getting a, mm-hmm. a job with the degree that they're seeking, and what are they likely to earn. Right. Because we, we want them to understand if they're going to borrow a lot of money, what are the chances of their paying it back? Um, We will do everything we can to protect religious freedom. I know that is an issue of yours. It's something I have pushed back against for the last four years Mm -hmm. with the Democrats in the majority. They have whittled away at religious freedom in education and and in the employment in those two areas. Uh, The man who is chairman, of the committee has said openly that he thinks that religious people hide behind their religious affiliation in order to discriminate against people. Mm. Uh, I don't believe that. I think that our sincerely held religious beliefs are to be protected. Yes. And yet the federal government is trying to take those away from us or impinge upon us um, uh, their beliefs other people's beliefs and say, no, your beliefs are not valid. Our beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. So we've been working hard on that. We'll be working on Title IX. That's yeah, going to be another good. interest, another mm-hmm. area of interest. Um, Representative Greg Stubbe from Florida yes. has a bill that's going to be introduced very soon um, to uh, make sure that biological men are not competing with women in sports. So we have a lot on our agenda on the workforce side. We'll be working on uh, reauthorizing a bill called the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, where we'll be doing everything we can to help people gain the skills they need to get a good job without a baccalaureate degree. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to be extremely busy. Now, under that, um, when you're working on the educational issues, uh, what about reauthorizing the Higher Education Act? Because it hasn't been reauthorized for quite a while, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking okay, about. Yeah. Okay, Reauthorizing all the, of that. Yeah. All of that. Okay. I gave some mm-hmm. elements of it, but reauthorizing yeah. all Excellent. of that. That's my number one priority. Mm-hmm. There's never been another person in Congress who has the background in education that I have. Mm-hmm. And I want to take those skills and knowledge and hopefully wisdom um, to being able to do the reform. Never before has higher education been held in such low esteem. Right. So I think we have that opportunity. That's not true with schools like Southeastern. Mm-hmm. You're you're bursting at the seams. But uh, there are a lot of other mm-hmm. schools who have low and en- lower enrollment, and they should be. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Yeah, and it's funny. It's it's interesting because we're here in Florida, right, Central Florida, and everything that uh, that Governor DeSantis is doing with the state school system feels like it's a few steps ahead of the of the different things that you guys are trying to enact. Can you comment a little bit about what he's been doing and how do you feel about his approach and how it maybe is good or differs from what you guys are trying to do? Well, I follow it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can't follow every state, right. mm-hmm. but um, since I have a little bit of an interest here and I work, I served with Governor DeSantis, uh, I'm very pleased with what he is doing yeah. in Florida. I know he got involved in school board races yep. and, and was able to turn around some school board uh, situations, and he's working on freedom. One of the things I did not mention, uh, there'll be a bill in Ways and Means that would allow for uh, people to get a tax credit for donating to a scholarship fund. Oh, that's great. Cool. To give scholarships to students who want to vote with their feet right, and sure. leave leave public schools to go into a private school, Huge. whatever kind of private school it is. You already have that in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I know that Governor DeSantis won his first election primarily because he received such great support for this issue mm-hmm. from African-American mothers right. who want to see their children get a good education and realize they were trapped right. in public schools and didn't have choice. So freedom for, uh, excuse me, educational freedom is another issue that we're working very, very strongly on. Mm -hmm. So we'll be working with the Ways and Means Committee on that bill. Uh, It's called um, Educational Choice for Children, I think. But but we're talking about freedom. That's the whole theme through what we're doing uh, in our committee. That's great. Now, you've been active in civic and, and business affairs over the years, serving on a lot of state and national committees. You're, you're also a member of the American Legion Auxiliary, the world's largest women's patriotic, uh, patriotic uh, organization. In your experience, what unique skills do um, you believe women bring to leadership and government positions and roles? Yeah. Well, I'm a firm believer that we need all kinds of people serving in government from all walks of life. Mm. You know, we have one forester in Congress right now. He brings a unique perspective. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the only person I think that's ever owned and operated a nursery and landscaping business. Mm. So I bring not only my point of view as a woman, but my point of view from having been a, a laborer right. in that business and run a unique kind of business. So I, I want every kind of person to be in. Yes, we need some lawyers, not too yeah. many in my opinion, <laughs> but we, you know, we have car dealers. We have sure. every kind. Right. But I do think women, we're known to be more uh, more involved with detail. Sure. And I think you see that among yeah. the women. I think you see that we do have uh, interest a lot more in the human side of mm-hmm. things. Um, it's it, We do bring unique perspectives, and I think it's important. But as I said, I think we need people from all, all walks, walks of life. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All walks so of life. And I think it's important to realize that we need we need more women who are 
passionate about this country. Absolutely. Right? And that's the trend that I see growing, especially when we look at the future of the Republican Party is there are, it used to be monolithic, right? That you had special interest groups on one side and you had kind of one on one side. Now we're starting to see that it's like, no, you can have... You can have people of different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different genders, all passionate about, hey, we love this country. It matters and it moves forward. Um, what would you say to women right now who are in that spot? They're thinking like, man, I love our country. I want to be a part of making it better for my kids. Right. And I, I don't really know where to start. Maybe I'm, I'm at home or I'm in my career, but right. I want to do something. What advice would you give to them? Well, I always tell people everybody can do something. Number one, people can pray. That's number one. Everybody can do that. Or you can write letters to the editor. It really depends on what your passion is. Some people don't want to be in the public arena. They're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But what I've learned and what I learned from myself is that women tend to downplay their competencies. Mm. So when it was suggested I run for the school board, I said, oh, no, I'm not qualified. Well, I was way more qualified Mm -hmm. in many ways than people who were running or people who were on the board. So we tend to not think about our capabilities. I know I walk around sometimes with five things in my hands and I drop it. You know, women are like that. We can juggle a lot of balls. We're much more accustomed Mm -hmm. to that. I remember one night, long time ago, telling my husband he was watching Sunday night football and I'd wash clothes. And I said, would you please pull your socks together while you're watching the football game? He said, I can't do that. I can't pull my socks together. Well, women do two or three things all the time. And, and, And we laugh about it sometimes amongst ourselves. But I would just say to women, sit down and analyze your strengths. They're going to be much stronger, much, you're going to have many, many more strengths than weaknesses Mm -hmm. and say, okay, where do my strengths match civic engagement? Maybe it's running for office. Maybe it's helping somebody run for office. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's being a volunteer Mm -hmm. um, uh, here or a volunteer at a a pregnancy crisis center. Mm -hmm. There are lots of places that our talents can be used, and we really have to sit down and think about it. You know, my husband says to me a lot of times, you don't have to work. You don't have to do this job. You can come home and you could do meals on wheels. I said, yes, I know I can. (laughs) And that would be benefiting our culture. But I really believe this is the highest and best use of my skills yeah. right now. And I, I, you know, I do feel a little like Esther for such a time as this. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, because we need to reform education. We're in desperate need yeah. to reform education. COVID exposed how bad particularly right. public education is and the indoctrination that was going on with public education. Right. So we have a unique opportunity right now in this country. And I think I'm there for that purpose. Yeah. No, that's great. We appreciate that so much, your service. I uh, want to close our, our conversation out this morning um, uh, on on with our fire round. And what we do in that is just ask a few quick questions surrounding everything we've kind of discussed to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice for our listeners. We only have three questions. And Michael, you can fire the first one. Cool. What's the number one piece of advice you're giving to parents right now, especially parents of, of students who are about to head to college? What do they need to be thinking about? What's the advice they need? Um, 
ask a lot of questions, okay. demand answers, mm. get straight talk. We found out that 90% of schools, we had a GAO report, 90% of schools in this country do not present to parents the true cost mm. of getting an education at their institution. Mm -hmm. They lump loans and grants and other things together so parents have a very hard time. And I'd really truly examine whether this is the right school for your child. Mm -hmm. Is that child going to get, is, is his or her mind going to be opened up mm -hmm. or is it or is the child going to be indoctrinated into ways you don't want to see them indoctrinated? Yeah, love it. Let me ask you this question. What advice would you give to those entering the realm of cancel culture who are trying to exercise their freedom of speech? This is a tough one. And I often say to students, um, I, I live near the town of where Appalachian State University is, and we often have interns who are in school there. And they tell me all the time about their professors and how far left they are. And I, I frankly do say to the students, look, you're not giving up your freedom of speech if you don't argue and get a bad grade. Mm. You, you have to worry about your future right now. Mm. You're not, again, you're not giving up a freedom if you don't speak up. You're simply being wise about when to speak to, up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the Bible gives us yes. good advice on that. And so... I would say, think carefully, just think carefully, but I will not compromise my principles. I'm known as a truth teller. Hmm. I'm known as a person who will stand up and tell the truth, even if other people aren't doing that. And so I think people have to be very careful that you don't get sucked into it, mm -hmm. that you keep your moorings and you do that. But I do, I do worry about students really being punished mm -hmm. unnecessarily if they speak up too strongly. Yeah, no, that's good advice. Last question for us. So with everything you're seeing in, in, the, uh, in the Education Workforce Development Committee, if there was a student out there, hadn't declared their major yet, has no idea what they want to do with their lives, and they're like, Representative Fox, what's the one industry I should just go get a degree in to do the best I can and, and make the most with my life? What's the one industry they should be looking at? Oh, I don't think that's the way to look at it at okay. all. I think you try out lots of different places. Yeah. Work in okay. as many places as you can possibly work. Expose yourself to different internships. I have always told people that I was an advisor at Appalachian State University. I was assistant dean for freshmen and transfer students. And so my advice was, don't worry about, uh, students mm. would come and say, my parents want me to major in business so I can get a good job, but I wanna be in art, or I wanna be, I said, look, if you, you follow your passion, and if you can get the skills you need to follow your passion, they always say, if you love what you do, you're never going to right. work. Mm -hmm. So my, my advice is get the best basic education you can get. Mm -hmm. Learn to read. Learn to write well. Writing well is so important. important. Yes. It's so critical. And the way you write well is to read well. Right. Read a lot. 
And obviously, we all need computer skills. Yeah. And, and we all need math skills. So you get good basic skills. Look, I'm an, I was an English major. Mm-hmm. Look at me, an English major. What am I doing in politics? Mm-hmm. I tell people, actually, if they want to go into politics or if they want to go to law school, do not major in political science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do not. Gain skills in another area, you'll learn political science on the job. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's good. That's what I have done is learned it on the job. So my advice to students is explore different avenues, figure out, take some, take some aptitude Mm -hmm. tests. And and think about what you learn from those aptitude tests and then try different things. They're never going to be in a place again in their life, probably, where they can try different things. Mm, yeah. And they have the freedom. They're not married. They don't have children. Right. Take advantage of this time. Now, I don't advocate staying in school a long time. Right. But if you're taking on debt. Right. But if you're able to work and go to school and, and get a major and a minor. Yeah. Maybe two minors. Right. Plan carefully how you do that. You know, it's it's wonderful mm-hmm. to be in school. Yeah. Love it. No, that's great. Well, Representative Fox, thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast. Grateful for your insight, wisdom, and grateful that God's placed you where you are to uh, serve our nation, especially uh, looking at the issues that faith-based education has to, to navigate. Right. Well, I thank the good Lord I'm probably a thousand times a day. Every little thing that happens. But the first thing I say and the last thing I say, thank you for letting me live in this country. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. That's great. Well, if you want to stay up to date with Representative Fox, you can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Rep Virginia Fox and on Twitter at Virginia Fox. Everyone have a great week. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today on Framework Leadership. If you're watching on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content right into your YouTube feed. You can also check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle at Dr. Michael Steiner or on Twitter and YouTube at Kent Ingle. And hey, if you love great email newsletters, and I know that I do, you want to check out the Framework Leadership Newsletter. Every single Friday drops in great tips to be a better leader, resources, thoughts right into your inbox. Check it out. You can sign up at kentingle.com. Make sure you hop onto there. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.